0: Town, my city, this is my Elgin.
1: Hello and welcome to another This Is My Elgin Hometown Songs and Stories, a One Source Productions production. I wanted to say that in the uh, same voice as the old TV shows that had a voiceover that stated their titles, and then a Quinn Martin production, which is usually followed by something like, and brought to you by rice the San Francisco treat. Anyway, I've ta- uh, told some of my dad's stories in this series, and I've talked about my maternal grandfather, the Norwegian who worked at Gromers, but I haven't talked much about my mother. She came into this Elgin world at a very bad time. There was a Terrible scandal in the late uh, in late 1925 in Elgin, and my poor Norwegian grandpa and Swedish grandma were caught up in it. Like a lot of local people, they had financed buying a home through a local agency run by a man named Ripberger. And I'd like to note there are still some Ripbergers around town. This is just a bad apple in their family tree, nothing to do with the rest of them. And I certainly wouldn't want my family name judged by a certain blazer or Anyway, this Ripberger was taking everyone's mortgage payments that were made in his agency office, and instead of applying them to the actual bank mortgages, he was using the money to finance a luxurious lifestyle for himself. But when he got caught, just in time to utterly shatter many an Elginite's Christmas in 1925, there were no federal or even state protect protections for the victims and no mercy from the banks holding the mortgages so everybody even though they had duly paid their mortgages lost their homes and it was a horrible time in Elgin. For my Knutes and grandparents couldn't have come at a worse time because they already had a two-year-old son and grandma was seven months pregnant with my mom so they had no choice but to leave their Cooper Avenue home and move in with grandpa's parents who lived on Orchard Street so when my mother was born in early february of 26 uh, adding the hospital bill for her delivery to the family's financial woes they were struggling pretty badly but my grandpa was a very hard worker and i think at that time he was already working for the august shealy grocery store in downtown elgin so he did manage to get his family to their own home again fairly soon they rented a house at what was known as kerber station which was a cluster of old houses just past the southern edge of the state hospital grounds. And um, it was called Kerber Station because old railroad tracks that brought cattle and beef shipments to the Kerber meat packing plant were very nearby. Well, they would only live at Kerber Station for a few years, and that was during which time my mother's other sibling, a sister, was born on leap day of 1928. My mother would uh, retain some scant memories of Kerber Station, but mostly she remembered her own mother's frequent and stern warnings never ever to speak to strangers when she was out playing and to get in the house as fast as she could if she saw any, and that's because there were so many escaped patients from the state hospital. Well, finally in 1929, uh, ironically, the Knudsen family stabilized fairly well just before the big stock market crash found the whole country living a Ritberger-style nightmare. The, um, the family moved to a rented house at 209 North Street. And then on my mother's fifth birthday in 1931, they moved next door to 213 North Street. Their landlady, Ruth Lee, lived in 203 at the corner of Spring Street, and she owned that and the next two, 209 and 213. Now, she wanted her daughter and her husband and their young son, and that would be Jeanette and Wally Rako, uh, who owned a, um, a surveying business right on that in that area too. And their son Jim to live next door to her in 209. So my mother's family just scooched over a house. Now that stretch of uh, North Street is called Symphony Way now because Hemond's Auditorium is just down the street where the symphony orchestra plays. And uh, 213 doesn't exist anymore because in the early 1960s, when, <clears throat> when the house was on the verge of collapse anyway, Kellenberger's auto repair business bought the property and they knocked the house down and to this day, it is their parking lot on the west side of their main brick garage. <clears throat> and also to set the stage for where this is, in case you're one of five Elginites who doesn't know where Kellenberger's garage is, it's this is all just behind the current Elgin police headquarters. So 213 North Street became truly the house in which mom grew up. And because of its uh, part residential, part business location at the northern edge of downtown. It was kind of a place of quaint scenes and colorful characters. The old streetcar line ran along the curb right across the street, and in the evenings from 213's living room window, my mother would watch uh, the inside-lit streetcars going by, full of weary passengers heading home from their jobs on weeknights, or they might be all gussied up heading downtown to where the action was on Fridays and Saturdays. On Saturday evenings, all the downtown stores of Elgin stayed open late. And around the time that Mom was 10, the street was dug up for over a year for the installation of new sewer tiles, which created a mess in parking and getting around on foot. And boy, can I identify living on East Chicago Street right now. So when North Street was finally finished and reopened, the streetcar line was gone for good. The city had modernized to buses hobos, as they were called, were a common sight around that neighborhood. The Knutsen family wasn't far from their gathering and sleeping places along the riverfront and the railroad tracks, so occasionally they would wander to the North Street neighborhood, hoping to find someone kind enough to provide food. And <clears throat> word got around that the Swedish woman at 213 would try to scrounge up a little something for them, although grandma did have some strict rules. And that's because once um, early in her marriage, when she and Grandpa were living in, on Channing Street, he was on a business trip to Kansas City, and my mother always always used this phrase for it, a leery peanut salesman. you got to watch out for those leery peanut salesmen. Uh, a leery peanut salesman tried to force his way into the house, and Grandma hollered, George, come help. And, you know, salesman didn't know Grandpa was away on a business trip to Kansas City, so he ran off. And ever since that incident, Grandma had been very skittish about opening her door to just anybody. Um, But she was big-hearted and wanted to help those hobos. So if they came to the front door, they were politely told they had to go to the back door and wait standing off the porch, not on the porch. And there she would open the door enough to set out a sandwich or some baked goods, and she quickly closed the door again. And they would come up and get the food and offer a polite thank you and leave in the uh, summer months that back porch was framed all the way around with her morning glories she tied strings to the railings and those beautiful bright blue flowers would bloom every morning until frost came in the fall believe it or not there were two daily mail deliveries in those days (coughs) except for sundays and even then there was one sunday delivery at christmas time so everybody would get their cards and packages in time But um, for the residents of North Street, those daily mail deliveries tended to be around 8 a.m. and 1 p.m. And if you wrote a postcard uh, or a letter to someone across town and you posted it early enough in the morning, it would be delivered with the afternoon mail. And that's an era in which many people didn't yet have telephones, so that was the, the really quick means of communication. That was the texting of the 1930s. Our house was uh, heated by coal, so the coal man came now and then to dump a fresh load of coal down the chute into a basement room, and city garbage pickup was done in the back alley, but like uh, most families, the Knutsons had a wire burner in the backyard t- for burning paper waste. But there was also another way to dispose of things, and that was the rag man. All neighborhoods had a rag man. He was often Jewish. And on North Street, it was Jacob Stern, who regularly came down the street pushing a cart and he'd call out, rags, papers, iron, and the people gave him everything from worn out clothing to old newspapers to scrap metal. And he basically made his living recycling, which is not a term used back then. The rag man was their recycling truck. Mom always said that she learned to count uh, from listening to the bells of St. John's Lutheran Church just a block behind them. Grandma would encourage her to count the numbers aloud to the number of clongs. With every uh, storm or strong wind, there would be slate shingles from St. John's high steeple that would fly loose and come raining down on the backyards of the North Street houses. But eventually the steeple was resurfaced with copper. And down the street to the east was a small triangular wedge of land known as Barclay Park. Still is, but um, as childhood perspective often miscalculates, it seemed incredibly large to mom as a child. And um, it seems awfully small now. It's kind of a passive park now. But um, back then they had playground equipment on it, and she and her sister Kay would bring Silver Cup brand bread wrappers to Barclay Park, in which... uh, in those days, bread wrappers were made with wax paper, so they would rub the wax paper onto the slide and that would help make it slick and fast. And my mother couldn't have known it then, nor did she particularly notice him, but for a time, her future father-in-law, my grandpa Blazier, was the groundskeeper at Barclay Park. and her future mother-in-law and sister-in-law brought him a sack lunch there sometimes, but mom never took note of them either. Well, it seemed that every neighborhood had a uh, had that house, that weird house that spooked the kids. And from my mother, it was one that was along the back alley as she walked to and from Barclay Park. It was a very old house in which lived a very old couple. And to my mom's eyes, as she passed by the fence and would see her in her yard, that woman looked like a witch. And it was the only house in the area that still had an outhouse instead of indoor plumbing. Well, around the time that mom was eight, the couple and the house itself disappeared and the Star gas station went up on that property. Over the years, several other houses um, on and around the block would be torn down. This was a very old neighborhood uh, with some of Elgin's earliest structures. They hadn't been built sturdily to start with and some were getting downright dilapidated, including 213. My mother's brother found neighborhood pales in Jim Goodwin and John Metrick, and John Metrick was the son of uh, Hungarian immigrants, and that's an ethnic minority that's all but forgotten in Elgin, but there were a substantial number of them at the time, so Mom heard a lot of Magyar being spoken as she grew up. But my mother and Aunt Kay's almost constant companion was their 209 neighbor, Jim Rako, the grandson of landlady Mrs. Lee. Jim was right about Aunt Kay's age, and um, Mom was just that little bit older. So there was an abandoned old rickety barn behind the three houses that they played in the loft in the, in the horse stalls, and sometimes they played school on Mrs. Lee's front porch with my mother because she was oldest, taking the role of teacher. She was, could also be a little bossy. Um, I didn't say that. And almost every day in the good weather months, they would see Mr. Christensen, who was a man who lived on North Street on the other side of Barclay Park. And he would be walking on his way home from his job at Reinheimer's Lumber. And sometimes on nice days, he told them that he would be coming back that way in a little while to go fishing down at the Kimball Street Dam. So if they could scrounge him up a can of worms by then, he'd pay them three cents for it, a penny a piece. And so that would spur them to quick action to go dig in the garden. And there's a much bigger score one day they spotted a, a wallet line on the uh, by the door of the economy oil service station just around the corner on Spring Street, they turned it in and when the owner claimed it, he gave them a dollar reward to split and, you know, 33 cents a piece was a pretty good chunk of money in the Depression era. Um, they also. Uh, enjoyed some sporting activities together. There was tennis and swimming lessons at the nearby YWCA from Beulah Luke, who also taught mom's beloved tap dance lessons. And they also um, they did this kind of uh, pole vaulting thing in their yard. Wally Reiko made these side stands with notches of increasing heights on which to rest a, a cross pole. Now, at the furniture stores downtown, carpets came rolled on long bamboo poles, and once all the carpeting was sold off of one of them, they would just chuck it. So the kids took to stopping in to ask uh, the proprietors of Leith's and Daniel's and Clark's and Friedrich's stores if they had any poles to, to give them. While my mother could re- uh, regularly clear six feet without knocking the bamboo pole down, uh, unfortunately. Jim eventually broke his arm doing a pole vault and that was the end of that. My mother and her sister also enjoyed roller skating and riding bikes around the neighborhood and they bought their bikes from Dell's Bicycle Shop, which was just across from Barclay Park as my mother described it, so I'm thinking right about where the Burger King is now. Mom was about 13 or 14 and she would started lifeguarding at the YWCA, YWCA pool for what they called the Saturday morning Jitney Dip and uh, jitney was a slang term in those days for a nickel. So kids could swim for an hour for a nickel and there were two consecutive sessions of it. And mom at first was paid 25 cents a week and then her pay doubled to a whopping 50 cents plus she got her free swimming and tap dance lessons. So she was determined to buy her own $13 blue bike in weekly installments. There was a lot for kids to do around town in those days, too. There was a Wing Park swimming pool and Lord's Park Zoo with bears and monkeys in the snake pit and a museum. There were also lots of stores to explore in downtown Elgin, and they would often have a, an expensive meal at the uh, Woolworth luncheon counter. And another favorite was popping Candy from Parties, a, f- a fruit and vegetable shop with a small soda fountain. And on one dark winter's early evening, uh, Grandma's brother Sam, Uncle Sam, took his daughter along with Mom and Aunt Kay to parties and bought them each a big sack of candy. And my mother would say of that, you know, in those days, that was really something. But she also realized that he had made that over-the-top purchase for them, so they, they would have something to keep them busy while he ducked into a bar for a couple of snorts. And every year on Mom's birthday, Jim Rako's mom, Jeanette, took her downtown to Bloom's confectionery store for a sundae with chocolate syrup and peanuts on top, plus bought her a box about six inches long and two inches deep filled with two layers of various flavored candy sticks. Well there's a lot more to tell of Mom's youth living in Elgin and living on North Street. I haven't even gotten to her cherished school days at Wing School, where I think she must have been as happy as she ever was. Uh, she adored Wing School and her teachers there. And she was a great student, and she was quite the jock. So that gives me some topics for pu- future podcasts, so I'll leave it there. and I'll, I'm going to close this episode with a song I wrote about my mother just days after her passing in March of 2014. I think like uh, many a mother-daughter dynamic of our generations, it seemed to me that I, I just could not keep up with her, even in her late 80s. I felt like I was always staggering along behind her never living up to her amazing standard. So uh, this song is called Everyday You. If you enjoy our podcast, please subscribe. You can email me directly at slynnblazier at gmail.com. That's S-L-Y-N-N-B-L-A-Z-I-E-R at gmail.com. And as always, I thank OneSource Productions for making this happen, with or without rice Thanks for listening.
0: Your sweater hung it on the chair, sprayed a little emerald to give it your air, and you'd laugh at me and say you always hated that thing, so why not throw it away and be through? But you know, I can't because it's you. Every day You I couldn't steer Down the winter's curves And I'll forever fear I fell short of what you deserved And you tell me not to cry and shout You tell me it'll all work out But it's not true Smuggling through and missing you just every day you so you're finally free to tap dance and i sing you a slow song but how fitting because i could never keep up And I lived that scene every day, all day long. house was a house of plenty, be it candy or milk or love, these three words were never once heard. We're out of. They can have their prayers in search for peace. Such a grief like velvety cheese. Only time travel could take us to it. I come back for you when you do it. You'd reach out that hand and grab for happier strings. And you'd swing back to wing school. YW pool, tending to your home. Chatting on the phone, all your Christmas days. Fishing at Green Lake, hitting Vegas with dad. Filling your garage sale bag, knitting by the TV. Kids and dogs on your knees, and in all you do, just every day.